All right. Hey, my friends, thanks for joining me for another episode of Real Live Talk. I'm really pumped that you're here and I'm really stoked to uh, to be here and to have the opportunity to have this conversation today with uh, my new friend, Christopher Hopper. Uh, he'll be up on the screen with us in just a minute. I did want to just take a moment and say thank you guys so much for taking the time to check out this episode, whether you're watching live or listening on one of the podcast platforms later. If you get a chance, if you like the content, if you enjoy it, if it blesses you, challenges you or adds any kind of value to your day if you'd consider subscribing sharing or leaving a review that would really truly mean the world to me so thank you guys so much uh let me talk to you about christopher hopper christopher is an international speaker and international best-selling author of more than 25 novels and short stories just to give you an idea of the genre that he writes in his books have reached number one on amazon and audible for science fiction, space opera, alien invasion, post-apocalyptic, space adventure, and military sci-fi. I have so many questions. Uh, but he also holds a Master's of Theological Studies from Northeastern Seminary and served as a pastor for 23 years before retiring to write full-time. So I'm going to go ahead and bring uh, Christopher up on the screen with me. Uh, Christopher, first of all, can you hear me okay? I can. Thank you. Awesome. And I got you loud and clear, but it is an honor, man, to have you on. It's been a little bit of a long time in the making. I appreciate you being flexible with me just uh, actually a month ago to the day that we were supposed to do this podcast originally. And my wife and I both had COVID and there were some some challenges, some unforeseen challenges. But thanks for rescheduling, man. Thank you for your time. And I'm really pumped to have you with me today. I'm pumped to be here. Thanks, Duke. I'm glad you're feeling better, too. Yeah, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, cool, man. I uh, there's I, I do have a bunch of questions. There's a lot of stuff that I want to get into. I'm really just so <laughs> interested and fascinated by what you do, by your writing and um, your just your process. I have some questions. But before we jump into that, there's a couple things. There's, there's actually several things that I had heard about you that are just interesting about your past and some of the experiences that you ha that you've had. There's two in particular that I want to ask you about because um, I just want to see if these are true or not. I heard that you were accepted into Harvard, but turned it down. Is that is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I yes, I made it through the initial candidacy phase uh, as a junior in high school. Uh, a couple Ivy League schools had showed interest, and yeah, it just wasn't something I was interested in pursuing at the time. So, was that based on academics, or was it based on athletics, or what was the reason they were pursuing good, you? Or good, good nuances. Yeah, it was academics. I I graduated uh, fairly high in my class, and there were a lot of extracurricular activities that uh, that had me, I think, on the radar, ranging from Eagle Scout and president of a few clubs in school. Uh, I, I was your classic firstborn overachiever. Um, so okay. <laughs> uh, athletics were, I mean, I played varsity soccer and uh, was just, you know, enjoyed, enjoyed a lot of physical activities, but I won't say I'm naturally gifted as an athlete as my kids can tell you, so. <laughs> I gotcha, I gotcha. Uh, were you naturally gifted as a student? I mean, is that something, were you always good in school or was that something that happened just during your high school years or what was that like? Uh, it was, I would consider myself a late bloomer. And actually that, that plays a, a bit of a, a theme in my life as a writer uh, because I was not, uh, second grade I was marked as a slow reader on my report card. And I remember that had a pretty sizable impact on me mentally and emotionally mm -hmm. to the point where I'm like, well, if I if I suck at reading, 
uh, I'm just not going to do it. And pretty much abandoned the practice of reading <laughs> all the way through being a senior in high school. I don't recommend that, by the way. Um, but I think I had enough of a cognitive uh, self-awareness of my environment. I was able to test very highly because of uh, what my teachers were, were teaching on and um, my assimilation of information through, through environmental perception. So uh, I think the thing that made me a good student was I'm naturally curious as a person. And uh, that is a mark that I think is essential for us to grow as people. And so while I might not have done well in conventional forms of information acquisition, there was certainly uh, a natural inclination toward, I want to know more. I'm very curious mm. and, uh, and perhaps maybe more of a well-rounded student in the long run. Um, never thought I would pursue higher education. Uh, and I think that's part of what, why I turned down uh, some of the, the, the collegiate invitation as well is because it, it just didn't interest me. Um, I, I didn't want to do more reading. I already didn't read. So I wanted to go experience the world and yeah, that yeah. fascinated me much more than a classroom and a book. Mm. So the moral of the story is if you suck at reading and don't do it, you can still become an international best-selling author. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but don't tell that to my kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we don't, that might not be the path for everybody. Let's just say it. <laughs> But that's cool how it worked out. Well, the other thing that I had a question about was I heard that you used to be into the luge. I don't know if you call <laughs> you, it. You, I don't know what you, call you know it. somebody who knows me. <laughs> I heard about it, man. It was just like I know a lot of people that know you. Um, yeah, this is this is this is dope that we're finally connecting. Um, I've known about you for a long time, just sort of like from a distance. I've been familiar um, of with you know some of your music. D definitely aware of your music and, and who you, you know, who you are, who you were back mm -hmm. in the years when you were pastoring and stuff like that. I'm an Elam guy as well. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you knew okay. that. So like, I know a lot of those people, gotcha. um, you know, um, like, uh, you know, some people, like I know like Rebecca, um, and Joel, uh, uh well, Rebecca Gilchrist, but Berthet now, yeah, yeah they course. were, they were, I was in their class. Okay. And so I know we, we know a bunch of the same people and stuff like that, but anyway, Beautiful. yeah. So I'm just curious about that, man. What was, what was yeah, so I, the street, the street luge or the ice luge? Actually both, believe it or not. I was yeah. really into, uh, you know, anything that's racing. I like, I'm, I'm a fairly competitive person by nature. And uh, I, at 16, 14, 15, 16, I really wanted to be, uh, I wanted to go to the Olympics in ice luge. And we had built a track down the side of the mountain that we lived on. And, you know, I, I took, I took training and cross training pretty seriously. Eventually went and tried out for the junior Olympic team, uh, missed qualifying for the team in a, as a position by like a hundredth of a second. And, mm -hmm. Uh, I was I, I was heartbroken. Like that was something I really wanted yeah. to do. And uh, as my father pointed out, you know, God has lots of different opportunities for us, and there are different paths that we can take. Um, and I certainly wouldn't be having this conversation with you right now had had I had I made that one one hundredth uh, mm. uh, up. And and I think that you know, with that is just that sense of we want certain things. And, uh, and I think, and God also wants certain things. 
and those two work themselves out through the course of our lives and our decision making. Um, mm. But yeah, I also went on a street luge as well. Almost competed in the X Games, believe it or, or not. And come on, uh, that was yeah, that was much more dangerous actually. <laughs> I had a friend get, seems like it get get uh, hurt almost very very badly, almost lost him. So wow, um, yeah. So yeah. like, how do you, how do you? It just seems like the kind of sport that you. There's only a few ways that you can practice that sport, right? Like where you can actually go out there and do it. Seems to me like when you're practicing street luge, are you pretty much breaking the law every time you yeah, practice? Absolutely. Or like... Yeah, I mean, unless you get a police escort or you you <laughs> have the road closed off, you are 100. Yeah. percent I mean, you're going 60 miles an hour, two and a half inches off the off the ground through traffic. I mean, it's it's insane. And actually, that was between that and and downhill mountain bike racing. That was kind of like that was one of those moments where I felt God was like do you value the life I've given you? And if huh. the answer is yes, we might want to consider Rethink different options. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> <laughs> I was not, my wife will tell you I was nuts. I mean, I'm, I'm still a little crazy, but just in different ways. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's awesome, man. It's, I see it's, it's like childlikeness. Um, and sort of that just desire to to enjoy life and just kind of have the adventure part of life. Mm -hmm. And uh, mm -hmm. I, and I'm sure and we'll, we'll get into, you know, some stuff as we go forward. But um, I would just imagine that all of that has played a vital role in you and what you do now really focused on your writing and, uh, you know, as a full time writer and just all of the juices that have to flow and all the creativity that's involved in the process of constantly creating new characters and creating worlds and epics and all of the kind of stuff that that's involved in the kind of writing that you do. Um, would you say that that's sort of like an adventurous spirit that you've had that's kind of lent its way toward, you know, just being able to explore some of those things that you do in your writing? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a love for life. It's a love mm. for creation. It's a love for people. And I don't know. I think we're touching the heart of God when we start to talk about those things and mm. the fact that he invented it all. He created it all. So as, uh, as he creates, so too do we. And when we're engaged in that process, we are acting very much like Christ. Wow. So, yeah. It's really cool that you, that you said that, that touching the heart of God because when we step into our purpose, right, or our assignment or whatever you want to call it, you know, what God has essentially either if you want to say what he's called us to do or the way that he's wired us, the way that he's he's designed us to be, you know, in, in his wisdom and the way that he designed us all perfectly in a unique way. All of that lends its way to, okay, what do I want to do with my life? How do I want to serve the Lord with my life? And there's a creative expression of God for every single one of us. And it's not just the areas that we, you know, would think about like ministry, preaching and doing missions work and stuff like that. The things that we consider to be spiritual it's not just in those areas where we get to touch the heart of God. It's when you step fully into who you are in your identity and who God is and who he made you to be and who he made you to be that you really begin to see God's creative expression. And that does touch the heart of God. 
And so whether you're, you know, doing what you're doing and you're writing these novels that are just like, you know, about people flying through space. And that's a very simplistic way to say it. But but you know what I mean? Like these these but novels accurate. that are very much, you know, <laughs> but accurate. Yeah. Or if you, you know, like what you, you what used to be your full time uh, gig was, you know, preaching behind a pulpit and, you know, all, all of those kinds of things. And so I just think it's cool that you that you went there. And it's important to know that you can serve the Lord in whatever what in whatever that is and whatever that unique expression of god is that's on your life again whether it's to be stay-at-home parents to be in missions to be in ministry to be a, a doctor to have a vocation to own a business um you can serve god and the other thing i love that you said was it's loving people that even that in the way that you write you know your goal is to serve people your goal is to love people well and i think that no matter what we're talking about when that's your motivation is to love people and to serve people well, then I think that that just lends itself to enjoyment, number one, of what you do, but also having a successful, you know, go at it in what in what it is that you're doing. Well said. Well said. So what is. Did I say that? I, I think I read this space opera. What is space opera? <laughs> <laughs> I know that's just one of the genres that was mentioned, but I don't I don't know what that is. Yes, I mean, space opera is essentially um, a person in a Viking helmet singing about different solar systems <laughs> on stage with classical music. I don't know what else there is to say. That's what it sounds like. Space opera would be, the, the easiest way I can say it is, is the connection to Star Wars. Uh, when we say space opera, we mean Star Wars. And that is to mean that we have an episodic uh, telling of a tale that spans multiple installations. You know, in Star Wars, we're really talking about the Skywalker saga. And mm -hmm. even though we have different names for movies and books, it's really about Skywalkers. And the moment we begin to, to branch off that, it just expands. So that would be, you know, what I would say is is space opera is, is, uh, is an episodic telling of a soap opera but set usually in the future and usually in a in a galaxy far far away so yeah did you grow up on that on all that stuff like was is that those kinds of things like star wars and you know these different kinds of things did they uh have an influence on your life and in, in who you are and like the kind of writing that you do or was that something that you grew up with or you know yeah, that? absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm a child. I was born in the late '70s, grew up in the '80s, and so the you know Star Wars was everything. I mean, I, I still have some of the original action figures. We just just moved into the office. They're somewhere. I have my my original you know action figures from you know my Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader and Princess Leia and Wicket the Ewok. Uh, so there's a way in which those mythologies are are our stories they are our origin stories so to speak and there's deep intrinsic connection for me in my childhood in those areas and not just star wars i mean uh flight of the navigator and the last starfighter and the never-ending story i mean there are yeah. some really iconic pieces of visual fiction that that marked my play uh, i think that mm. that you know playfulness is far more powerful than seriousness and 
Wow. The idea that we get to play in life, we play with God, we play with our spouses and our children, we play with our friends. There is something very formative there. And we do a disservice to relegate it to something as a secondhand experience or just mm. a side effect of being. Um, you know, as you were talking earlier, you, you were saying some really beautiful things. One of the thoughts that came to mind when we're talking about ministry and vocation and occupation, the greatest gift that we can give the world is our presence. It's mm. good. That's it. If there is something else that comes of it, that is a blessing. That is an added bonus. But the moment that we have to make our significance something we do instead of something who we are, we're actually undermining the Imago Dei. We're undermining, I think, God's vision of who, who he wanted us to be as created beings. Well, and so all the other things that we do, those are wonderful. I'm not discrediting them. But to say, you know, for me to show up, here on your podcast that was it that was the gift if we talk about stuff marvelous but the best gift i could give you was to show up likewise the best gift you gave me was to show up i don't even know what we're going to talk about you didn't send me your questions in advance it it doesn't matter because the, the exchange has already happened and i think when we center on that it, it, it's almost like everything else be, everything else that follows is just fun. It's just icing on the cake. Um, yeah. So taking that back to storytelling, you know, the, the idea that I, I existed in these worlds as a child and they informed my, my play with my next door neighbors in the woods and our make-believe, uh, you know, there, there are things that are taking place in our lives that we just, we can't possibly know. We can't possibly know. We are we, yeah. we are at God's mercy, at creation's mercy. And if we can somehow figure it all out <laughs> before we die, we're that much yeah. richer for it. Is that something that do you think came naturally to you was focusing more on like the the playful aspect and the enjoyment aspect of life? Or was there a time where maybe you took yourself you, you realized you were taking yourself too seriously and had to kind of pull back and, and readjust your thinking or, you know, do you get what I'm asking? So is it something that kind of came naturally to you or is that something that you moved into later on in your life? Uh, it, I'd say it probably came naturally. Uh, I can't think of a specific, like this was the time that something yeah. switched or changed. I, I think it was a constant tension and a, and a push and pull because um, at times you, you, you have to be serious. Uh, sure. I think the measure of seriousness, though, is, is not on whether or not it happens. It has to happen. It's just that how much weight you put on it. Um, mm. And so I think it was, it was kind of that the, the moments where I could play, I really wanted to play. The moments where I had to be serious, I, I needed to. But in the back of your head is, let's play again soon. Um, <laughs> and honestly, you know what? I'm, I'm, like now that we're that. talking about it, I had a... I had a, uh, it was a, what I would consider one of my more profound encounters with God was a, a picture that he gave me where I was, honestly, I was, uh, it was, just, it was actually just before, um, I married my wife and some things were kind of just going haywire, um, you know, mid twenties and I was upset. 
was upset with God. I was upset with, with some things in life. I was frustrated and, and like, God, where are you? That moment. And I had this instant picture in my head of searching for God in a forest. And I would see his face, I'd see his, his person, and then all of a sudden he would zip behind a tree and I'd lose sight of him. And the moment that happened, I'd get upset. God, where are you? Where are you? And all of a sudden he'd poke his head out from behind another tree, maybe a few feet away, and, oh, there you are. And then he'd duck behind the tree again. I'd be upset. Well, yeah. after the third or fourth time of this happening, God's like, hey, this is called hide and seek. We're supposed to be Come having on. fun, remember? Come on. And I think that really, it was a call back to being a child, to being childlike. And I think it was a, it was a prophetic call forward that this is how life's going to be. We're going we're gonna to play some hide and seek together. And you're going to be okay. And in fact, you're eventually going to find out it's for your good. And I really like this. Hopefully you like it too. And so once we stop taking ourselves so seriously, and even in a way, yeah. maybe sacrilegiously taking God so seriously, we, yeah. we discover that, wow, this life amidst the pain, amidst suffering, amidst incredible loss, who hasn't touched, been touched by it, there is joy to be had. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's very Christ-like. Whew, that's profound, man, for real. I know I'm trying to learn this, like I'm trying to learn how to stay in that zone of being able to just kind of enjoy the adventure of life with Jesus when when it's good and when it's easy. And then when there's like the bad things that happen or the things that I think are bad or the things that affect me or, you know, can can put me in, in a wrong mindset or that can make me have an attitude or that can make me feel fear or, you know, whatever. And. I think that if we could learn how to walk through life with that sort of that lightness, right? Like that lightness, that childlikeness where we're truly living our lives in awe and wonder of who God is and where he really is our focal point. And we really remember, like we remember that he's big, like we remember that he's bigger than us. And we remember what you just said, that he desires to th that there should be enjoyment with us and him, that there should be this joy that's constant that's overflowing that's as paul writes in or peter writes as inexpressible and full of glory right and 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 i think that there's something in that there's something in being able to enjoy god and enjoy the life that he's given you enjoy your family enjoy the moment i mean you talked about presence a minute ago just kind of the greatest gift that you can give somebody is your presence but i just wonder i think about this in my own life like how often am i am i with people but i'm not really present with them I'm with them physically, but my mind might be on so many other things. My mind might be distracted by all these different things that I have to do and not really in the moment. And I think that that happens a lot of times with adults. I think that we we stop learning how to be a kid and play and we get to this point where we do take ourselves and we take life. And as you said, we even take God too seriously and we end up just kind of like missing the enjoyment of it. And I think there's something so powerful of living your life with joy that allows you, like I, I love not to get, you know, too in the weeds here, but like I love uh, the Isaiah 12 verse three says with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. 
And it's like this picture, I think, in my mind of joy as this bucket that you lower down into the well of the spirit of God who lives inside of you. And 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 it's like th- with joy, I'm able to draw from the resources of heaven, like his peace and his strength and, you know, the ability to not be afraid when I'm going through conflict and all these different things that he's really given to us and made available to us. But I think that because we forget to enjoy life and we forget to we forget to walk with him through it and we take things too seriously. Like, what did Jesus say? If you can't receive the kingdom as a child, you're not going to be able to enter it. So I think that we can be jaded by the the disappointments and the failures and mm-hmm. the challenges. And we can have sort of a hardness of heart that causes us to miss out on so much of the goodness of life that God has for us, that he wants us to enjoy. And I love how yeah. God gave you that picture of like, we're playing hide and seek together, son. <laughs> like this is meant to be enjoyable, even when you don't understand everything that's going on. You can still enjoy it because it's still just you and me mm-hmm. through this. I thought that yeah. was so beautiful. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I can't take credit for it. because <laughs> I wasn't the one who gave it to me. Um, you know, another metaphor to the Isaiah bucket drawing well analogy. Uh, another picture is that of a time machine. So speaking about science fiction, Let's I think that it, when we uh, when we look, when, when we are not present, uh, we, we are tempted to step into a time machine, one that either goes back or goes forward. The one that goes back is the one that is, is full of regret or shame. Um, the, the one that is looking at past decisions and, and wishing we could go back in time and correct something. Uh, and that leads to a certain amount of sadness. Yeah. People are usually mad because they're sad. At least I have mm. been in my life. And the mm. other direction, the time machine is goes forward because we are we are living in a different moment. We're living for a future, and, and, and it sounds it sounds great, like oh yeah, live for the future. But we're actually we're actually so discontent with the present that we're trying to do everything in our power to make a future state a present state, and that's just mm. exhausting because you, yes. you don't have control. You don't ultimately have control over those things. So. I think that this idea of, you know, I would say step out of the time machine and be hmm. and content yourself in the present. And that could be playing a board game with your hmm. eight-year-old. That could be getting down on the carpet and acting like Elmo for your three-year-old. That could be just, wow. you know, putting the stupid phone down for a minute and looking yeah. at your spouse across the table. Uh, I don't know. There's just several things where I think they're minor and they're not, they're not huge. It's just recognizing, having the grace to recognize the moment that we're in and seize it and be curious about it and live it to the greatest extent that we can with all of our heart. Uh, there's, there's real life to be had. That's so good. Can, can I ask you on that? Because something that I feel like I struggle with on a personal level and something that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people struggle with is the balance uh, or, or that tension of the focus on the future, the focus on tomorrow, the focus on something maybe that you're building or that you're working on, but also the tension of living in the moment and enjoying it today. Like I imagine when you kind of started off embarking on 
you know, really going after your career as a writer, um, that there was probably some tension there. I mean, there's things that I'm doing, you know, I, 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 um, I do some writing as well and some, you know, different things, different projects that I'm working on. Like if I wanted to, which I don't, but if I wanted to, I could fill up like my whole day with stuff that I'm doing, which is really like, I, I'm not seeing the benefit of it today, but I know that I'm building something for the future. Um, but then that is sort of the tension of, of that, but with what you're talking about, that sort of living in the moment and making sure that you're not neglecting the people that you're in front of right now. Um, I guess like, what are some, what's something or some things that have kind of helped you to mm. kind of live in tension in those two worlds? Cause I, I know that you have uh, for sure at the beginning and I'm sure now like you have, it, it takes a lot. It takes a lot what you're doing, um, you know, to, to keep this thing going. And yeah, just um, what are your thoughts on that? It's a great topic. Um, I'm still learning it. <laughs> I think that there is an immense amount of, of emotional, mental, spiritual, even physical energy that is required to concentrate, to mm. focus on what needs my attention right now. And the older I get, the more I realize that is a discipline. That is not just something we stumble into. And I don't believe anyone is naturally gifted at it. I think that we learn to harness the power of concentration and give ourselves fully to the thing that is before us. Uh, some of the most incredible people I've ever met in my life had the power to make me feel like I was the most important person in their world for 15 minutes. Well, I, I love that. I want people to feel that with me. I don't think that's accidental. I think that is extremely intentional and it's the ability usually mentally to just block out every other distraction and focus on this, this moment. Um, and isn't, I feel like that's how God treats us too, right? I mean, he has how many people alive at any given time, plus all of creation and eternity. And he's able to go, Hey, I love you. And you feel like you're the most important person in the universe and you are. Wow. And at the same time, you aren't like that dichotomy is beautiful. <laughs> so anyway, I, I'm digressing a little bit um, to, more to your point. And, and practically speaking, uh, yes. I, I think there are, first of all, I think much of our adult lives is, is a study in risk analysis and partitioning things and building good boundaries and assessing exactly where we are and what we can do not what we want to do which is a valid question but what we are actually capable of it's that whole thing you know we tell our kids you can be anything you want well that's that's a bunch of crap you can't be anything you want you can you can be what you're gifted to be mm -hmm. and my job as a parent is to help you identify your giftedness um but you know there's just no way i could want to be a, an nba player all I want. It's just not going to happen. I'm not gifted for it, right? Um, but in the same way, I think if we look at uh, the things that we are given, the seasons that we're alive in, the, the, the countries that we exist in, the monies we have at our disposal, all of which are are, are, are different and, and no two of us can ever say, yeah, I'm exactly like that person. They permit a certain level of risk-taking that can yeah. or 
or cannot precipitate any number of results. So I guess I would like, you know, I kind of say that the bigger the foundation, the bigger risk we can take, the bigger leap we can take. So practically speaking, someone has $100,000 in the bank and their monthly needs are $3,500 a month. They have several years worth of playtime to experiment and try something new. Someone that is living hand to mouth and doesn't have $100,000 in the bank, they can't take very big risks. So they have to scale back what kind of time they put into whatever that endeavor is that they hope will net something in the future. Mm. And so that's all risk analysis. That's all management of, of assets and resources, not just financially, but in terms of our time. And so I have tried to be very good at isolating what kind of time can I spend on this endeavor and not disappoint myself or my family. And, yeah. and to say, I can, just, I can write that off. If that does not work, I can write that off. And I haven't lost anything emotionally, financially, physically, or spiritually. The more robustly objective I can be about that thought process, the more healthy and content I will be in all of my life living. Uh, and, and so I think we really do our, ourselves a disservice when we start to misallocate resources and make leaps mm. that we're, we can't actually afford. Come on. Um, and, and so I would probably put that under two other categories too, is, is trying to differentiate between what are passions and what are professions. <laughs> In other words, what are things are hobbies and what things mm-hmm. actually make us money? Yeah, I heard somebody say this uh, a couple of years ago, and I loved the example, and it's just stuck with me ever since. I was on a podcast, uh, and and two friends of mine were talking, and and one of them was a well seasoned author, um, seven figure income, and was being interviewed. And my other friend, who was kind of just starting out, uh, you know, was asking for tips on how to write their book and and what to do. And the more successful of the two said, well, what are your goals? What do you want it to do? And the host replied, well, I want it to to strengthen people who are in a dark period of their lives. Hmm. Okay. Uh You don't want it to make money. No, no, no. Money doesn't matter to me right now. Okay. You're just after people being helped who are in a dark place in their lives. Yep. Great. Here's my suggestion. And over the next five minutes, rolled out a beautiful plan on how to put this book through crowdsourcing and crowd fundraising, Kickstarter, into hospital rooms wow. in her local hospital where there were 500 beds and two copies per room would equal about a thousand people who, given a very probably dark part of their lives, would be encouraged a great deal through the book. Wow. At the end of the at the end of this creative exercise, the host thought to themselves and said, "You know, I think money actually is important to me." Hmm. Because after hearing the whole example, realized that she was more interested in climbing a different mountain than the one she had professed minutes before. Hmm. Okay. And and so I think all of these things really have to do with this, what I mentioned earlier, is being objective about what we're gifted at. What do we want to do? What are we actually trying to accomplish? 
and not demonizing anything. I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to make money. I want to make money. I want to make more money than I have right now. That is not inherently evil. Uh, sure. the, the biggest problem we run into is when we are not being honest about what kind of mountains we want to climb and what kind of resources we have at our disposal. The more we can be truthful and tell ourselves the truth and listen to other people around us telling us what we are actually good at, not what we dream and fantasize about being good right, at, right, the more right. faithful we can be to the things that we're ultimately, I think, destined to do. Wow. Whew. And that was so good. How, how do you sort of, so I guess it's another tension question, right? So, you know, focusing on the things that you're, that you're, you're good at, so to speak, or focusing on the things that you're gifted in, but at the same time, like kind of coupled with that ability to dream big, to dream beyond where you are right now, how do, how do, how does that work? Because you might have, you know, maybe when you're just starting out with something, you might have a certain proclivity toward whatever it is, you know that there's some skill there, you feel like you can hone it, you can adapt it, you can get a little bit better. But it's certainly not everything right now that you need in order to get to, you know, where you want to be 10, 15, 20 years from now. So just like that ability to kind of continue to dream to dream big to dream bigger than yourself. But at the same time, you know, not wanting to focus on something that's just probably never going to happen because there's like zero <laughs> like talent or gifting there, you know, like it, it breaks my heart because I don't like to tell people, I don't like to tell people that like, you know what, that's just, that's not going to work. Like you can keep doing it as a hobby if you want, but as far as something it's you're, it's not, it's not going to work. It's not going to make you money. It's not going to make you famous. It's not going to, or if it does make you famous, it's not going to be for the right reasons. You know what I mean? But like focusing on <laughs> something, but I don't like to crush people's dreams at the same time. You know what I mean? So I don't know. Where do you think the balance is in that of, uh, I mean, I, cause I feel like there've been people that started off where they, just had a great passion for something, but didn't really know what they were doing. But eventually they got good at, you know, I, I think there's people that would like for comedians, for example, that, you know, they went up on stage the first couple of times and their peers were like, yo, you suck at this, like go back to your day job, quit doing it. But it was something <laughs> in them that was pushing them. It wasn't readily apparent to other people right then, but there was something in them that really wanted it. And so they went after it. So I don't even know what I'm asking, but no, I mean, that... it's, it's a great, it's a great question. The answer is yes. I mean, like, There's... yeah, you know, we love axioms. We love, mm -hmm. we love certainty. We love being able to say, this is always that. And that is always this. And, mm -hmm. and those things bring us comfort. Um, as as creative beings, uh, sureness is is intoxicating. So we really just want it's either always going to work or it's not, and therefore everybody's happy, even if they're dying. Yeah, um, <laughs> there are exceptions to every rule. And and sure. and what do you say? I mean, about the I'm thinking of a Jim Carrey, who was just passed over time and time again, but stood overlooking Hollywood. And was like, I will be a famous actor. I will be a multi-multi-millionaire. And wow. just dug in. Um, and so 
I don't really feel comfortable answering a question that there there seems to be too many permutations for. Uh, we 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 can't. Yeah. Not, the, the right place, yeah. right time, all those things. Um, I think I think perhaps for me, uh, it it more has to do with a sense of. Um, wow, I found a contentment in what I'm doing right now that I did not before because I was mm. so busy and so strung out and so curious that everything was the next best thing. And for me, you know, for anyone who, who follows the Enneagram at all, even even superficially, I am a seven. I am an enthusiast, if that wasn't apparent. I love, you know, I think the entire world is my own personal roller coaster mm. uh, for my enjoyment. I, I get love that. It. But but the problem for a seven is that their, it, their love for life living is also their Achilles heel because they're the if they're a, you know, for me, I'm a firstborn. I'm, I'm a good student. I'm, uh, I try to be excellent at everything I put my hand to. I want to master it and be the best. Uh, so as a result, I actually don't know. I'm superficially good at enough things that I actually don't know what I'm good at non-superficially, naturally. Okay. And it took me a long time to figure out, to, to kind of weed through all the things I was superficially good at, to find the things that actually make me resonate as a soul wow. on the planet. Wow. Um, and, and, you know, you get back to your, your friends telling you this or that, and boy, that's really true. I, I will say, listen to your friends, though. Um, not, they're not always right. But uh -huh. my wife, 10 years ago, said, Christopher, everybody knows you because of your music right now. That's great. But anybody can play the chords that you're playing. Anybody can write the songs that you're trying to sing. No offense. But nobody, nobody can write the stories that are in your head. You are yeah. the only person who can. Wow. And, uh, and I wasn't offended by her, her comment because she was telling me the truth. And that is, I think, ultimately what we need. We need truth tellers. Because her, you know, her mean, her, her means was not, her intent was not to be cruel. Her intent was sure. to help liberate me from some of the prisons that I had placed myself in. Right. Um, and, and, you know, I just wish I had listened to her a little bit sooner than I did, but here we are. So I think listening to those people around you, uh, helping you identify, man, those are the things you're really good at. Um, and, and, and getting back to one other thing I said, dude, this, this idea of, passion versus profession. Some of the things that we are passionate about, we'll never make money. Sure. And, and that's okay. Like, yeah, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, somebody, uh, I, I know this, this one woman, like her, her love, her just getting a hug from this elderly saint is one of the greatest gifts a human being could ever encounter. I don't know of a capitalistic vehicle through which hugs can be given Right. in, in th that innocent of a way and make money. It just doesn't, it doesn't happen. But what I say that her greatest gift outside of her presence to the world is the way she could tell you she loves you. Yes, but it's not going to make money. And, and so I think that a lot of times we want, we're gifted at things that don't actually, won't actually support us fiscally. Mm -hmm. And being honest about those things and saying, my cooking will never make me money. 
but people love my meals and are touched. Yeah. That is a yeah. wonderful confession. Yeah. And it will, it will be a clarifying conversation for the inner self that no amount of counseling, therapy, worship, or prayer can reveal. Mm. It's just what? an honest assessment about the place that I live and what yeah. I'm doing. There are other things that could make you tons of money, tons of money. Neither is wrong or right. What is important is the honesty about the topic with regard to who you are in the midst of it. Hmm. Hmm. You did a really good job answering that that uh, convoluted question, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I am curious, though. You just brought this up. I am curious about that about the transition from being a pastor, from being in ministry for more than two decades, um, as far as full time, you know, ministry and 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 all of that, as far as your profession, and from going from that and the transition into writing full time. How did that take place? What was that? What was that transition like for you? Very difficult and very wonderful. Mm. Um, it's something that I'm I'm currently writing on, by the way, and hope to release later this year. That's awesome. Uh, because I think that the idea and the topic of midlife crises is a subject that we are very underserved on in western evangelicalism wow i i think that we you know we're confronted with and and the, the pop culture references you're going to want to buy a ferrari and run away with your secretary sure. welcome to sure. the midlife crisis but that does such a disservice number one to the fact that uh maybe we don't want those things i didn't want those things i was happily sure. married and i didn't have the money to buy a ferrari i wasn't gonna i didn't have the credit to buy a ferrari so what does that say about what i, I don't know how to allocate this and secondly we tend to think it's mostly a male issue the reality is that it's an, an all gender issue uh but more than that and this is where i think the 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 whole christian testimony the last 2,000 years of, of um, post-first century Palestinian thought really reveals a richness that we haven't talked a whole lot about in the last 40, mm. 50 years in North America. Mm. Uh, that, that this idea of a midlife crisis has been around for a very, very, very long time. And more than that, it is something, imagine this, that God is inviting creation into for the purpose of unification. Wow. And once we start talking about that and looking at things very old and very ancient, we discover a richness and a vastness of resource mm. uh, that certainly helped me in the middle of, of that transition. So wow. that was a bit of a preface. Um, I, yeah, I was, I was at a crisis point. Um, Looking back on it, recognizing it was a making of both my own doing and I believe the Holy Spirit drawing me into a much deeper experience and much deeper relationship. Um, and, and what was fascinating was it, it wasn't any one thing. In fact, my marriage was great. My relationship with my kids was wonderful, but it just felt like everything around me was going to hell in a handbasket and I didn't know what to do. Um, 
I eventually uh, took a sabbatical, which I was you know, looking back and wish I had done much, much sooner. And the leadership of my church had said, we don't want you coming back until you know what you want. And we don't care if that's a week or a year or a decade. You wow. meet with God and then we will be here. Hmm. And Huge. yeah. Yeah, that, and my senior pastor, Kurt Gilchrist, uh, who you mentioned his daughter, um, was was and still is a very dear friend and was so Christ-like to me in that moment. Hmm. Um, I will never be able to repay him, nor the board of our church, nor our staff. Um, the first week, Duke, I sat on my couch and wept. My kids called it dad's crying on the couch season. Well, it would go on for a couple months. Uh, I, and I couldn't even tell you why I was crying. I was just, I was just undone as the psalmist would say. And, um, and some conversations began to come from that because I had unplugged. I mean, no social media, nothing. I, I was off the grid. Uh, and, and this was precipitated largely by a conversation my wife had with me where she leaned over you know, one night she rolled over in bed, looked at me. And she said, babe, I got to say something to you. I'm like, all right. She said, you are depressed. You're full of anxiety. You need help. And the worst part is everybody knows but you. Wow. And I lost it. I did not sleep that night. And I, contrary to what people might think, I was not mad at, at all. I am so grateful. Those were healing words. Yeah. Those were provocative words. Um, yeah and immediately sought out uh, both a, a licensed mental health therapist and a spiritual director, both wow. aged men in their, in their 80s, who I've now seen for years, and I am so grateful for their wisdom and insight. Mm -hmm. um, but, but that season of transition, those conversations that started to come up were, one of them was, hey, God, what do you want me to do? And God's like, well, what do you want to do? And I didn't know. And it made me really uncomfortable. And I'm like, okay, God, let me explain this to you. I submit to you. This is the evangelical thing. I yield my will to you. What do you want me to do? Oh, maker of the universe, speak to me. And, yeah. and God's like, yeah, great. Got it. What do you want to do? And now I'm, I'm instructing Jehovah. Sure. Hey, God, let me explain how this is supposed to work. Yeah. I submit to you. You tell me your plans, I do them. And he's like, yeah, I got it. I got it, Christopher. I know who I am. What do you want to do? Hmm. I have no idea. And that sent me on a journey of uh, another topic that I hope to write on soon, which is this idea of actually loving ourselves. And this, this idea that the very first person God called us to minister to is not the other. It's actually us. Because if he wanted us to minister to the other, he would have put us in that body instead. Mm -hmm. But he put us in this body. Yeah. And until we learn how to take care of this person, we are writing checks we cannot cash. Wow. Love God. Yeah. Love, love others. others. As, as you love yourself. Right. It's the metric by which we know what is appropriate love of the other. 
and it's yeah. been hidden in the Shima for years. And yet we just, we, we make, we make everything, uh, martyrdom. We make everything sacrificial, nothing against wow. either of those two concepts, but sure. they're not fundamentally how we are to construct, I believe a healthy self in God. Um, wow. So eventually, to answer your question, <laughs> how we do it on time? I'm rambling. <laughs> I'm having a good time. You're fine, man. Um, I eventually, I was, yeah, I, I loved audiobooks, right? Getting back to, to space opera. I, I had fallen in love with some audiobooks early on. And uh, a guy named R.C. Bray would read. He read Andy Weir's The Martian. He narrated um, one of my favorite series called galaxy's edge by jason on and nick cole and mm. and i had been kept okay. company in the darkness of the few years leading up to this moment and i'm on sabbatical i have nothing to do so i decided to start researching all these people who i'd been following for years on, in in audible world and i find a, a podcast so i love podcasts so much of Jason Ansbach and Nick Cole talking about their Galaxy's Edge series, which is basically, it's, it's basically an R-rated version of Star Wars, if I'm going to be frank. It's, it's way grittier. Their stormtroopers can actually hit things. There's, it's military science fiction. I mean, it's gritty. It's, it's just captivating. And R.C. Bray is the number one voice actor in the world for military science fiction. So I get this podcast, and they're like, well, we want to, Tell our listeners a couple things they might not know about us. First of all, we're both born again Christians. What? And so there are certain things we'll write about, certain things we won't. But but the second thing we want them to know is that our ministry, our love, is giving entertainment to the world. That's mm -hmm. our gift to the world in, yeah. in our vocation. Dude, I pulled my car over. I still remember where I was. I pulled the car over and started weeping. Wow. And I'm like, that is what I'm going to do. Well, wow. I am going to write books. Well, wow. and by the time the first of the year came around, this is now the first week of January, 2019, I went back to our leadership staff, the board and, and out of my word, out of my mouth come the craziest words. I want to be a science fiction author. I'm going to make six figures doing it. And I'm going to be successful. I can do this. I was born to do it. I love it. And here's the beautiful part. And I think this is a huge, this is a very important lesson that I learned and that I, I, I love to pass on. I did not need to demonize the former thing to justify the new thing. That's so good. So many people who I meet, especially yes. Christians, have to, well, I was just wrong. And now I missed God. And now I am following God. Well, what does that say about you before and God? It's crazy. We we don't need to do that. I think because ultimately where that comes from is a lack of value and love of self. Wow. The only justification we can get for our new behavior is God told me so. Mm. How 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 fundamentally flawed? How about your desire to want to do something is justification enough? to pursue it with all your heart. Wow. And that pleases God because he made you with the faculties to pursue those things. Hallelujah. 
Christopher, I I think that that's one of the that's one of the biggest things that I think fascinated me about you um, and about your story is what you just said right there. Um, and and I think that you put that into such incredible words that it's okay for a season to shift. And just because the season shifted doesn't mean that what we were doing in the former season was not right or that it was not good. And I think that you're absolutely right on that more often than not, what we see is um, is people that do have to kind of tear down what was done before so that they can justify that that switch or that change. And uh, and, and I love the fact that, I mean, you didn't you didn't change as a person because you stopped working in as a full time pastor and now you're doing something else that, you know, a lot of people might look at and consider, you know, we throw around this term secular like that's no longer a, a spiritual thing that you're doing, but uh, I would imagine that you would say no, like it actually is because I'm in God's image and this is what he's he's made me like this. He's wired me like this. He's given me the capacity to do this. And so just because I'm not behind a pulpit or preaching somewhere in a church doesn't mean that I'm doing anything less spiritual than I was doing 10 years ago as a pastor. I'm just doing it. It's just different. And it doesn't mean that it's better. It doesn't mean that it's, you know, that the other thing was worse. It just means that it's, it's where I'm at right now in my season. And I think that, uh, I think that we could get so, so free in our minds if we would learn to not over spiritualize things. And if we would learn that it's okay for me to do something in this season that I might not do in the next season, and it's okay for me to go after the things that I, I, I believe God is calling me into right now. It's okay for me to pursue this passion right now. And it's also okay if that thing shifts or evolves or completely changes into something else in the future. But the point is, I'm not going to like stay stuck in something out of some religious idea. And, and, and I'm wondering, like, is that something that is that something? Do you feel like was that something that was difficult for you to? get past in in your in your mind um or was it something that you got criticism or backlash from other people in, in terms of like um you can't stop doing what you're doing like this is what you were made for you're 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 in ministry you're you're a pastor you can't give that up to go and work somewhere else like did you deal with any of that either from outside sources or just internally in your own mind most of those dragons have been slain earlier in my life because i had been in raised in a very artistic family and mm. the arts were seen as as ministry in whatever form they took now that's just not to say i didn't have those struggles i don't think i had them nearly as strong as some people who i meet uh likewise my church was extremely supportive and i think that's because our community so cool. is is it recognizes the you know the it, it doesn't it doesn't pigeonhole this word ministry into what classically we would call representational church ministry right to represent god to a people and people to a god through this role of of western mm -hmm. pastoral ministry um but 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 going even further i i really appreciate your summary of everything there i'm i'm smiling and i'm because i'm resonating i'm like this is beautiful uh one of the great rabbinical lenses that were given in Old Testament scholarship is the recognition that they did not really view 
sacred and and secular. Come on. As diametrically opposed. But mm. the rabbinical tradition taught that all of life is holy. That's good. Right? The summation of life is holy. And I think when we are immersed in that kind of atmosphere, internally and externally, the community that we're in, it allows us to be what you just said, free, the best iteration of ourselves, the most Christ-like we can be. And that just kind of blows the doors off everything. It's like, what do you, it's going back to that, that question that, that God was asking, what do you want? I, this will offend people, and I won't actually use the word for, for fear of, of, of um, offending too many of your listeners and viewers, but it was as if God said, what the do you want? Like, why can't you answer me? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm broken. Right? But it's this passion. It's this pan. I, use the, I, I would use a, an expletive only to communicate intensity, not to, mm. not to be demeaning. Sure. Um, sure. It, what? do you want what is it let's talk about it. let's drag it out of the back closet and talk about it um because in, invariably i think god put that thing there you know it's, I, i've heard years ago that the whole god i just more, i must decrease and you must increase and like no no right. no i already i want more of you that's why i died for you i want oh. more of you um so i think i think he gets great delight out of these things and I'll tell you, Duke, in terms of like quantitative ministry, what's fascinating is <laughs> the number of people who know me now as a science fiction author with zero connection to Christianity exceeds the entire collection of my audience for the preceding 20 plus years combined who knew me as a Christian pastor worship leader, speaker. Mm -hmm. And the number, they're daily, every day. I just was reading one before we got on this call. Every day I get a message from somebody, at least once, somewhere in the world, saying how deeply and profoundly impacted they were by what story I had written for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I'm talking, I'm talking veterans who are going through hell because of stuff they're experiencing their physical bodies or mentally they're in the VA, they're going through hard places and they mm. needed an escape. I'm talking about, I just got one yesterday from a mom down South who actually in your state, uh, who is just saying how she's had the roughest two years of her life. And when mm. she got on audible with my stories, she was able to find a reprieve, even if it was 15 minutes at a time that helped her yeah. keep going in the rest of her day. Like if yeah. that's not ministry and, and you know, I, I've had a, a very, very minor handful of religious uh, self-righteous people who are like, well, that's not ministry. Whatever. Good. Tell that to her. Good. Um, <laughs> Tell uh, that to her. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, that, that to me is, is some of the most profound work. It's almost as if everything I've done has led to this point. All of that ministry has been wonderful. And this ministry is even more wonderful. And I'm grateful for both seasons. And I hope that I will just be found faithful to continue to do the work that he's begun in me and that he will see it to completion. So good, man. 
if we could, man, just take a few more minutes and uh, I, I'd like to ask you maybe like a few just like some from the tech more the technical side of things. Um, like what is your writing process like these days? Mm. So I have set a goal to write four books a year of nonfiction, and that is down significantly from about 12. Really? Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and that has to do with, first of all, I knew that going into this, I needed to build a business and it was, it would require an immense amount of work, uh, to start to meet some goals that I felt would be healthy and comfortable for our family. Uh, and, and, you know, going back to that transition period, I took nine months yeah. to phase out of my church and it wasn't a sure thing that I was going to make it as a writer, by the way, that was never, uh, a sure thing. And it still isn't, if we're really being honest, there's no guarantee with anything we're doing. Sure. We're just, I'm one beggar telling a thousand other beggars where I found food for the day. Mm. That's it. That's all I get. Um, you had you had already written some stuff, right? Like uh, while you were in ministry, um, yep. I think uh, I I just I looked through your stuff, um, and I've been trying to familiarize myself over the past couple of months because I, I knew we were you know going to be doing this podcast. And um, you had I remember it was is the the White Lion Chronicles was that the beginning? It was. Um, that was the that was that was the first. So I mean, you were already. It wasn't like you were. It wasn't like you walked into that that room that day, that board meeting, and it was just something totally new, right? Like I'm 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 going to do this full time, and it was something like everybody already knew that you had a gift for writing and and stuff like that, right? So there was there precedent. Was, there, was yeah, precedent. there was precedent. Yeah. And uh, again, I think you know anyone listening or watching, tuck that one away. Is there precedent for what you want to do? And I think that gets not to get too sidetracked here, but the principle of seeing our footprints in the snow and for those in northern climates that's a very visceral yeah. picture to, to yeah. look back and see footprints those have a trajectory those have a direction and a vector to them and i think uh what when we find ourselves continuing in that same direction um there is you know as, as eugene peterson would say a long faithfulness in the same direction there's there's a continuity there that we that that we've been pointed down the whole time i think uh, all along, I've, I've known this was coming in a certain sense. Um, so yeah, those books uh, were, were early on. They didn't really make any money. That wasn't inherently the point even. It was just more sure. I wanted to try. And you can see it in the, it, you know, it, the writing reflects a lot of that. Uh, the White Lion Chronicles aren't technically very good, but they, they captured an ethos, I think, that was in my heart that I did. I loved storytelling. I wanted to, to communicate that as best I could. Um, so fast forwarding to this, yeah, I, I kind of knew what it took. I, I knew the mountain I was going to climb again. I had some of the right equipment, but, uh, when I sat down with the family, you know, we had, we had a meeting and it said, all right, dad is going to transition out of pastoring. Um, and again, to paint that picture for our kids that the church is not bad. God is not evil. We didn't, we weren't bitter. <laughs> we weren't, people are like, yeah. you're still at your church. I'm like, of course, why wouldn't I be? Aren't you? Yeah, like they didn't hurt me. This this isn't someone else causing me pain. This is me trying to process. God, what are you doing in my life? And who am I? And what do I want? Um, so we had said, I'm, I'm going to work for six months. I'm going to do 90 to 100 hour work weeks for six months. I'm going to full time pastor and I'm going to full time write. 
And if at the end of that six months, because that's not sustainable, right? We can do that for a, a season, but I was yes. so desperate. Mm -hmm. If that is not successful at the six month mark, we will do something else as a family. I will do something else. And I was ready to work at Lowe's, Duke. Like, I, and I don't say that to, 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 to condescend to anyone who's presently sure. working at Lowe's while they're listening to this. Sure. I'm just saying I was so desperate to do anything else um, that I needed a, I needed a game plan. Like I love Lowe's. I'm there all the time. I know where everything is better than half the employees I talk to. Um, people ask me for stuff and I don't even work there. Right? <laughs> um, but, but, but that was the plan. And I think that's important yeah. is to actually make a plan. And by the time, uh, that six month mark rolled around, uh, it actually was in that it was in June that some significant things happened. And I was able to jump on board with a friend of mine, Jay and Cheney, who recognized, hey, your, your writing is great, but you did not launch well. You wanna repackage these and do something together. Uh, mm -hmm. Little did I know how that would launch the career, how much he would teach me, and uh, ultimately the, the massive blessing that we would walk into as a family because of partnership, which is a whole other lesson we could talk about sometime. But um, the point being that, that you know, that there were practical steps involved. Um, so to answer, to get back to your question, I was writing fast and furious. I mean, between the summer of 2019 and the summer of 2020, I think we I, I put out 12 novels and another wow. three books that you don't know about because I signed non-disclosure agreements and they're under pen names or I did ghostwriting for, for, for clients. Oh, yeah. Um, so a lot of words, a lot of published words. Mm -hmm. And I knew it was, I likewise, just as that six month period was unsustainable, doing 12 plus books a year is unsustainable, but I needed to do it to get to a place where I could now say in 2022, I'm going to put out four this year and maybe a fifth one of nonfiction. So where, you know, I, I'm really big on tracking. I have. Google spreadsheets that track all of my progress. I know how many words to the word I write every day, how many words per hour I can write. Um, my, my goal is to write a minimum of 2000 words on whatever my main, uh, non, uh, main fiction book is before noon. And then in the afternoons, I decide, do I want to keep going and extend that? Uh, yesterday I wrote 7,000 words, or do I want to transition to a nonfiction book, uh, that I'm okay. working on? And I'll put in another thousand on those. Uh, I try to write Monday through Saturday and I do it usually very early in the morning. It's when I work best and reserve the afternoons and the evenings just to be with my family and uh, enjoy life. And I, I enjoy life while I'm writing too. I love writing. And that's another thing yeah. people say who are like, Hey, I, I've thought about writing a book or I, I want to, it's interesting to me. Uh, I just can't, I can't keep my, as we would say, keep my butt in, my, in the seat. Yep. And the very first thing I say is usually disheartening to them, but I think it's an honest response, which is maybe you're not a writer. Wow. I think sometimes wow. we have infatuations with dreams, but we're not actually gifted to do them. And the example I use, and I'm a musician, so this, this makes sense, but if you've ever spent time around a musician, they cannot help themselves if they see an instrument in a room. Right. Mm -hmm. If there's a piano yeah. and there's you're with a pianist, they're going to go over and start playing the piano while you're having a full on conversation. Like, am I invisible now? 
Yeah, because yeah. they saw a piano. Writers write. I can't help myself. I don't sit down and go, I have writer's block today. Because, I mean, do truck drivers get truck driver's block? Do nurses <laughs> get nursing block? Like, it's irrational. That's a terrible description to have. It's, do am I gifted to write and do I love it? And even on the days I don't like it, I still feel compelled because it's how I make my money and, and as a career. Wow. And it's how I find identity as a person. So, wow. um, so if you're if you're a writer and you're born to write, you're already doing it. You just don't know it. It's merely re rechanneling some things to actually generate income. If you are writing something that is marketable, yeah, that's a different conversation. Yeah. Um, are you meticulous with your writing in that? you will you feel like you've got to finish what you're doing right then like before you'll move on so like if you're let's say you're developing something you're writing i don't know if if you write straight through according to chapters or however however you do it like from the beginning but let's say you're writing on something and you do start to get a little bit stuck you're not sure you know how that dialogue is supposed to come across or if there's a fight scene like how it's all supposed to so like if you get stuck on something Will you stop there and go and write something else? Or do you are you more meticulous in terms of you've got to finish that before you can move on to the next thing? Um, do you kind of need that closure as a writer? I'm just curious about that because that's something that when I write, I struggle with. I feel like I don't know if it's a struggle or not. I think it's more so just personality. It's kind of like I, I want to finish what I'm on. I want I want to finish what I'm doing. Uh, um, and I, I just feel like I kind of need that closure before moving on to something else. I can get over it if I have, if I really have to, <laughs> but I'm just curious, like what, what's your, uh, sort of a methodology? Uh, there? You, you ask very good questions, Duke. I like these. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I think, you know, going back to my competitive nature, uh, racing, I love F1. It's about the only sport I follow, um, was a runner in school, loved soccer, like I said. So, uh, you know, I don't run so much anymore. I'll, I try to take walks on a regular basis and I'll, I'll do some weight training and stuff, but I'll always pick a tree and push myself to get past that tree on the road. If I'm, yeah. if my you yeah. know heart rate is elevated. So, so it's this idea of mini goals, mini goals, not, you know, major goals. Yeah. But what's the goal I can do right now. And so Good. for me, I do need that closure, just like you were talking about. I'll say, and, 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 and they're not always intentional. They kind of form, they materialize as the art is being made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, and I've done enough now that I know kind of where a chapter needs to go. And I'm like, I'm going to make it to the end of this chapter. And I'm going to make it to the end of this fight scene. And sometimes that's my best work is when I'm tired. And I'm like, oh, I just I can't focus. I'm like today where I'm just like, I'm not even going to try. Yesterday, 7,000 words, it was like, this this battle sequence needs to come to to fruition and cool. okay we're just gonna do it and it's just cool. you know it's that sprint to the finish line and then you this is the best part even if even if you go back the next day and go oh, that's crap you know at least you did it <laughs> at least you, you did can, it yeah you can repair it so i'm with you mm -hmm. that's cool i like it do you ever you ever like I don't know where you're maybe in the middle of a conversation with somebody and you're both talking and maybe they say something or you say something and all of a sudden some kind of light bulb goes off and you're like, Oh, that's what it is. And I don't know if you like pull your phone out and uh, just jot a note down kind of thing. Is that, are you always sort of on in that? Yeah. Like in that process where, you know, being inspired by something or something just kind of comes into your mind and, uh, 
yeah it's kind of like oh give me a yeah. second i gotta i gotta run to my computer real quick or i gotta i gotta i gotta write this down or i gotta do that yeah i have i have cool. a physical notebook that is in my backpack i have two different apps on my phone that i'm i check religiously because i i collect um i populate ideas in there and they're either for the book i'm working on or the next book i need to and uh yeah very 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 meticulous in that way because that's where the gold comes from for me it's not the well i had this idea about a space marine who goes to this other planet <laughs> yeah yeah everybody does that great tell me tell me yeah, exactly yeah. why this person's compelling and then that's where the gold yes. comes from but you have to be yeah. a diligent note taker i think again going back to curiosity and being a good observer of life i love what uh, jr tolkien said about Middle Earth. He said, I did not invent Middle Earth. Mm. I showed up as a faithful journalist and took notes on everything I observed. Wow. 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 That that's a good storyteller. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah. That leads me to another question. <laughs> do, you, do you when you're writing, um, do you kind of is your tendency to start with a character and kind of build a, a background and build a world around that character or are you more likely to kind of have an idea for a storyline and then put characters into it um and uh or is it more um, yeah, like more like building a world and then populating it with people. What, what would you say is sort of your, you know, method to creating the, the worlds and, and everything that, that goes into this? I think that and, probably, the... and if it's, if it varies and all that, I'm sure this <laughs> might not be the same thing across the board, but I guess, what are you more likely to do? I guess is what I'm wondering, like to, to get into a, 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 a character and kind of bring that character to life or kind of, you know, reverse engineer it a different way. Yeah, no, it's beautiful, um, and it's a it's a valid question. And you're get you're gonna get all my gold now, Duke. I'm gonna have nothing left. Bro. So, <laughs> <laughs> if it, let, let me let me let me explain myself because all of my writing has been in the area of um, you know, like uh, I, I write things to help people get closer to God and you know stuff yeah. like that. So I'm writing I'm writing nonfiction, but I've always had this desire from when I was a kid. I would write a lot and I would draw a lot. And, and, and what I would kind of do as a kid was I would have this idea for a story in my head. And I, and, but I, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't know if I, I was pretty good in school and stuff and I could write, but I never really got into writing stories. But what I would do is I would have the idea for the story and I would draw it out. Like I would draw pictures and I would, I would, and I wasn't a great artist either, but I would draw it. And then I would kind of, it was almost like I could kind of see it taking place and kind of almost living in it. And there was that sort of thing. And, and so I feel like there's always been this desire in me to write stories, but I've never done it. And over the past, mm. I'd say eight years of my life, I've been, um, I, I've really developed a, a love and a fondness for writing and mm. always for the sake of, you know, I want people to know this about their identity or I want people to know this about who God is. And that's always been the kind of motivation for it. And so I've been writing. Uh, but lately, I'd say over the past six months, there's been this there's been this thing. And I actually sat down one day to just kind of write from a purely 
just fiction context and i had like a phrase that popped into my head and i just started writing based on that and and i mm. started basically developing the backstory for a character and uh and i'd never i hadn't done anything like that in years and i really enjoyed it and it was and it was interesting to me because as i was writing i had no idea where it was going to go but i was just kind of following the breadcrumb so to speak mm. and i got to this point it, it actually went to a really dark place <laughs> which kind of surprised me but uh, i was kind of developing uh this this character's uh background their their backstory and it ended up going to this dark place where this like it, he was a 14 year old kid and he witnessed a um uh like a suicide take place and it just went to this whole whole thing and it's it's kind of a new thing for me to do that kind of writing but mm -hmm. anyway i just wanted to explain myself because it's kind of been maybe the basis there, there's like this kind of maybe damned up uh desire in me that might be the reason why i'm, I'm asking the questions that i'm asking because it's coming from a place of genuine curiosity so just wanted to explain that <laughs> so just as an observer your whole countenance yeah. changed when you started talking about this topic that's funny so that's funny you know if, if i if i could be so bold i would encourage you to go with that okay go with that yeah even if it is for your own personal no one ever sees it but you. But I think there is, there is something very cathartic if you resonate there. Uh, mm. I love writing. Like, I I can't believe I get paid a stupid amount of money to play with G.I. Joe guys in my backyard sandbox and tell other people about it. Come on. That's what I, that's what I do. Right? So you and, do the battle sequences out? Oh, dude. With 100%. action figures? And I tell you, oh, that's so cool. Go, everybody charge. Fall back, fall back. I'm out changing. I mean, it's 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 so stupid cool. how much fun I get to have. I laugh and and my my I was just writing one of my voice actors today saying, you know, probably one of my favorite parts of my job is writing for the actors in mind because I know what they're going to sound like or at least have a suspicion. And I just wow. giggle. I'm like, this is so. If people knew how much fun, you know, authors, oh, I must slave away. Like, I have a ball. I. I feel so privileged to be able to get to this. And if and if nobody buys a book again and I need to go do another job, I can look back on this and say that was one of the greatest seasons. It was worth it. Yeah, it absolutely. So absolutely. Um, so to answer your question, it, it has changed. Uh, there's, you know, the the, the two ideas, uh, two approaches are typically that we're either a pantser, seat of our pants writing, or we're an outliner. And um, I I am firmly convinced that uh, needing to know the story beats and story composition are essential if you want to bring something to market. If you're just writing for you, it doesn't matter. Just have fun and write it. Mm -hmm. If you want to make money at it, there are certain things you do need to do well or it will not sell. Okay. Uh, and for those things, rhymed, I read- by the way. Yeah, it was nice, right? That was, um, that's the yeah. musicality in you. There it is. <laughs> I just literally had an AI, a sentient AI robot yesterday recount an entire alien species history in song. <laughs> so I was like Dr. Seuss for about three hours. I'm like, again, I'm like, this is my job. How is this my job? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway. So, so, so wait, sorry, real quick. Do you, do you have to do a lot of research to figure out stuff like that? Because I imagine the stuff you're writing about with these military people but they're futuristic and so you've got to kind of you know you're you're 
naming weaponry and suits that people are wearing and you're describing like the thrusters on the ships and you're describing how these things work how much of that is research of like because we're not there like a lot of these things don't exist but the basic i guess components of those things does exist and there's you know if you if you were to just r use nonsense words to describe some of these things people that know weaponry and stuff they'd be like that doesn't make any sense you know what i mean so you've got to know I imagine there's research, but then how much of it is research and how much of it is just you like kind of being creative with it and stuff like that. <laughs> All right. I added to your question list because we still haven't gotten to process, <laughs> but this is so great exciting. stuff. It's, it's fun. Um, so in regard to research, yes, tons of research. Every series I do, for instance, my current series, the Infinita series, uh, I have I'm going to say over 430 entries in my research file alone. And that's because it's hard science fiction. Hard science fiction is unique because everything that you do has to be grounded in what we know of the physical universe and how it operates today. Wow. Even yeah. if you're projected in the future. So if we don't actually believe that we can create a warp drive, it does not exist in science, hard science fiction. Um, right. The, the right. Lasers firing out of guns with a net effect of actually killing someone in this kind of form factor, probably not going to happen. That's Star Wars. That's space opera. It's not hard sci-fi. There's no sound in space. You have to pay attention to astrophysics and orbital movement. You have to, you know, you, Whoa. it takes a really long time to get to Mars. Right? It takes even longer <laughs> to get to the asteroid belt, and it takes a stupid amount of time to get to Jupiter. So you don't just hop in a spaceship and get to Jupiter in three hours like it was a flight to mm. Toledo. Uh, right. So that's hard science. And so like the math involved, the, I, I like to say that I get to research um, quant my hobbies of quantum physics and my, my secret dream of being a Navy SEAL, and I get paid for mm. it. Because on the military side of things, if you want to write military science fiction, you must know what you're talking about. Uh, my first series, Ruins of the Galaxy, with Jeff Cheney, many people would say that's military science fiction, but anybody who's a vet would go, it's not, because you didn't have your okay. fire team account uh, right. You didn't, they wouldn't never enter a room that way. This whole thing, like, you know, you don't throw a grenade and say fire in the hole. That's that's a detonation of a placed munition. You would say frag okay. out. And so they're calling your bluff. So you need to know what you're doing. If you say it's military science fiction, now Ruins of the Earth, my six book series, that is military science fiction because I had 14 veterans informing every single line of that, of those books. Wow. They are like, we would never say that. We would never think that. That guy would never say that to that guy over there. This person, wow. you know, so... There's a huge investment of time, and that becomes part of my skill set and what I offer to my readers and what they can expect from me in the future. Um, so it depends upon what genre you want to write in, and are you playing by those rules? Uh, wow. So to your question about outlining, so uh, a great book that I would recommend is by Larry Brooks, and it's called Story Engineering. It is a great entry-level exploration into the mechanics of Western uh, modern storytelling and what kind of things appear in stories similar to if you've heard of like the hero's journey, uh, Joseph Campbell, mm -hmm. which greatly influenced 
all of modern storytelling and like Star Wars and, and those kinds of yeah. things. But story yeah. engineering is, is much more precise and is not so much about the hero's journey as it is about the breakdown of what a novel or a short story or novella look like. Uh, and I love it. It's one of those things where once you learn it, you can break those rules all you want and you'll have various levels of success and failure based on the market you're writing for. Um, but that is to say now, originally back to your question about world building. Dude, um, you're so good at navigating these questions, by the way, like not, <laughs> not losing your train of thought. I'm terrible at that. Thanks. <laughs> Concentration. Like, when I'm answering questions, I just, I'll start answering the question and then I'll go to something else. And then anyway, yeah. You're, yeah. You're, you're very good at staying on Thank top. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so world building before it was the joy of the discovery that drove me. So everything was about world building and characters were secondary or tertiary. Um, mm. That isn't to say that world building isn't less important to me. It's just that characterizations have gotten more important to me. And the reason for that is there's a little saying that we have in the author community, which is plot driven authors have one book and it's a wonder uh... and that's it. But character driven authors have a career. Okay. And and my probably my favorite example of this is the movie Jaws. If I were to ask you what the movie Jaws is about, or if we were to poll the audience, uh, most people, especially those who haven't seen the movie or it's been a long time, might say Jaws is about a man eating shark. Mm -hmm. But to those who understand why Jaws has lasted so long amidst all the other shark human eating movies. And by the way, there are dozens of them that have been right. made. Just go like Google Jaws or shark movies and you will get dozens. Everybody tries to do it again. Why does Jaws have the sticking power? Because Jaws is not about a human eating shark. Jaws <laughs> is about a police officer who is, is assigned to a seaside town and he has a fear of water. And everything that happens in that movie is to press that sheriff up against the wall <laughs> of what will you do about your fear of water? Yeah, yeah. The greatest thing we can do in writing any story is highlight the flaw of the character and press them up against the wall to see what they will do when that is the only option they are left with confronting their greatest issue. Wow. That's so good. And I can tell you that has, I can see that in my ratings. I can see that in my sales unequivocally. And I can see that in the loyalty of what I call my super fans who are just like, I will buy anything you ever write because I love your characters. Today, I got an email from a guy named Jeff who is like, your character development and the crispness of the dialogue and the speed everything happens and i feel so attached to them i'm like dude you just made my day like that's what i was going for and you picked it up thank you what a gift mm, that's awesome well christopher we've done 90 minutes plus so um <laughs> let, let's uh let's go let's go ahead and wrap this up uh but i i do really again appreciate you for coming on i appreciate your time I've really enjoyed the conversation in case you Me couldn't too. tell. I, uh... <laughs> Me too. <laughs>
I, I also had that same thing of uh, that you just mentioned a minute ago about that sort of dream or desire. I can't remember how you worded it, but of being a, a Navy SEAL. Like I, I had that growing up too. I was always researching it. I was always researching like military stuff like planes. I was finding out like how much it costs to build these, you know, different kinds of uh, military planes. And I, I was researching weaponry and like I was just always I, I was researching. I thought for a while that I was going to be a Navy SEAL. I, I thought for a while, like I, I just all these different things. I kind of had that, you know, growing up as well. Um, but, uh, I've just, I've really enjoyed kind of picking your brain and I've really enjoyed hearing about your backstory and, um, just to, to, to kind of round this out, um, was really kind of special to me in this conversation was, uh, just the way you talked about kind of loving yourself enough through that process of transition that you went through and loving yourself enough to give yourself the permission to, to be yourself. And to not stay in a place or to stay in a position that was really, really, again, it was really great. Um, and, and it was really it, it's a really great thing and a noble thing and an awesome thing. I'm sure it brought a lot of value to your life and you were able to bring a lot of value into the lives of others. Um, but just sort of that honesty and humility and really that that faith um, that it took to follow the plan of God um, and to go a different way, even when the path didn't look like what you expected it to be originally but allowing mm. it to you know kind of just just go with god in the process of your life even though it took on a different shape than what you had you know maybe originally considered i think that that's really cool i think that that's really inspiring i think that unfortunately a lot of times we get stuck where we are in our lives and afraid to take those steps that are necessary to reevaluate and to move on you know and again whether it's just this season was awesome but it came to an end or for some, it's recognizing this did not work. This was not good, but that's okay. And being humble enough to, you know, kind of move on and to go to the next thing. Um, I think that that's just something that, you know, that that we struggle with a lot as adults. And um, again, I think that that's really inspiring. I think your life is, is inspiring and um, just really, really cool. So thank you again, man. It's truly been an honor and I, I appreciate your time today. You're welcome. And thank you, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this conversation. Really appreciate you guys as well. Thank you for your time. If this episode blessed you, encouraged you, inspired you, um, I'd love to hear from you, first of all. But also, if you consider subscribing, sharing or leaving a review, um, that would really mean the world to me. You know what, Christopher, before we go, um, I know we've got um, a couple different uh, websites that I wanted to highlight where people mm. can check out your stuff. They can go to find out, find, find your books. Um, I know, so we've got ChristopherHopper.com, um, and, uh, that, that site is basically dedicated to all of your work in the science fiction genre, right? All the different book series that you've done, Ruins of Earth, uh, Ruins of the Galaxy, the newest series, the, um, it's called the Infinita series. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. Nailed it. Or not. Nailed it. Awesome. Um, and, uh, you've got a new book coming out in just a couple weeks, right? Yeah, we had a new one come out, uh, last week release early to our VIP club and then it will hit Amazon and audible um, later this month, March, and then it, it into April. And then the third book in that series will come out this summer. So, yeah. So cool. Is it, is it best for people that are maybe just checking yourself out for the first time to go to your website or to just go to Amazon? What do you think is the, the best way for people to, I think the best way to find everything in one place is, is the one you have there, ChristopherHopper.com. And, 
uh, yeah, that's the best way to connect with me as well. And if I listen, man, I say to people, you know, if you like science fiction, get the books, you'll have a great time, but don't, don't do it just as a courtesy gesture. If you don't like science (laughs) fiction, don't put yourself through that torture. There's lots of other art that you can enjoy. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah. Good. Well, they're no joke, man. You're talking four or five hundred page pagers, right? And you're you're talking yeah. about, you know, you're that's why when you said you, you did 12 books a year at one point, I was like, dang. <laughs> <laughs> but uh is there anywhere else that you uh, want to point people that are maybe interested in any content that you put out or or anything else? Or is that uh, is Christopherhopper.com just the, the best that, place? That would be everyone? for yeah, for fiction, for the nonfiction that I'm starting. We just launched a website, CK Hopper. Uh, dot com and it's just letter c and k and hopper there you go and and that's really more in christian spirituality uh, theology and um uh, just a way that that pen name is a way to designate that content more specifically since these these typically are not two genres that uh that cross and i'm very careful in respecting both reader groups Uh, people have asked me you know are your books uh science fiction christian science fiction i'm like if you're asking if my science fiction goes to church, the answer is no. And I do not write tro- uh, Trojan horses, uh, something that I actually find pretty repulsive. My personal mm. preference, my opinion, I know a lot of people that like that, where they're trying to weave the gospel in intentionally. I don't. I don't sit down and go, how can I glorify God in this book? I believe I already answered that question by waking up that morning. I do not confuse my identity with my art so you will not find christological archetypes in my stories unless Mm -hmm. my earlier work which i would put under a christian fiction uh category as much as i find that revolting um that that is you know (laughs) that is not what you're going to find my fiction is general market science fiction my characters do bad things Uh, bad guys do bad things they space marines swear uh it's it's intense and so you either love that or you don't um there it is (laughs) yeah thank you check that out everybody christopherhopper.com or cKhopper.com. the 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 little bit that i've had the time to get into so far um the writing is is uh is awesome in my opinion thank you again brother really good to finally connect with you have an awesome day thank you you too